0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka. I am so glad that you're with us. We are back for another episode of the Jew and Gentile podcast. We've got so much in store for you today. So I'm so thankful that you could spend the next hour with us. As we look at the Bible from a Jewish perspective, with me is none other than our co-host, Steve Herzig. I always like to call Steve Herzig the Jewish sage ay sage status. You know,
1: I'm doing an article for Israel My Glory that will be coming out, I think, in September, October. I'm not quite sure. It's either that or November, December. But approaching three score and ten. Uh, I think we talked about that last week. Yeah. But I, it's been on my mind. Chris, uh, af, after June, I will be in the last year of the 60s. And I don't mean the 1960s. I mean my 60s. That kind of uh, kind of brought me to a point and say, "Oh man!" Because Psalm 90 and verse 10 says, "I got 70, man, eh, maybe 80." And so that makes you really think about your. You're, life. Are
0: you reflecting? I'm reflecting. Are you reflecting?
1: I am reflecting. It's it hurts. <laughs> It reflect, hurts to reflect. Reflecting hurts. At my age, when you're approaching your three score and 70, reflecting, oh, man, it hurts.
0: Well, all right, so I don't know how deep you want to go here, but what kind of things are you reflecting on? Chris,
1: we're to live every day as though it was our last day. That's that's really um, really what we're supposed to do, and I can't tell you I've done that. Um, but when you, when you reach a certain point uh, – Midlife midlife crisis happened to Moses. You know that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he was forty years old. He didn't know about his identity. I'm raised in the, in primo area. I I have I could be the next pharaoh. I've been a military person. I've had all the finer things in life, but I'm a Hebrew. He said, mm-hmm. and so when that fight took place, he sided on the part of his Hebrew Jewish blood, mm-hmm. and then he was in trouble. It was a secret sin. It the text says he. Uh, they found out they found yeah. they know that he killed him, so he spends the next forty years in the desert and isn't it interesting that both those things happened and God in the umbrella of God's will, he used it so now an eighty year old Moses is going toe to toe with Pharaoh, let my people go, but for me, it's we nobody pleases God all the time. you want to what did Paul say that which I should do, I don't do. And that which I don't do, I should do. Oh, wicked man that I am! And I think the older you get in the Christian life, the more
0: not regrets, but you say, "Oh man, I missed, I missed that." Do you feel like you've missed? You mean you say like you've missed opportunities or something? I'll that, tell Nathan? you
1: this: I'm never, I've never been satisfied with my Christian walk. Mm. I've never been satisfied. I, I always know, at least for me, if you were totally honest we we know I could have I could have done better. You know, that hap- but that happens on a regular basis for me, at least when I take communion. Mm-hmm. Our, didn't Paul say examine yourself? Yeah. Uh, and that's in the context of communion. And I'm not here, to, I'm, I'm not saying I'm depressed. No, you're I'm, definitely not depressed. I, I'm not depressed, but you begin to reflect on your life. Moses reflected at 40. I remember when I turned 40 and I, I started to reflect, mm-hmm. uh, but... It, because you live less years, it hurts less to reflect. The more years you have to reflect on, the probably the more disappointed you'll be.
0: So no, I'm not
1: satisfied. Um, I think I could do better.
0: There's also a component of hope in that too, though. Great Is that, that's what that's what's amazing about our faith. You know, as we're you know as we're talking about reflecting, because I just celebrated for for my 40th birthday, and people are asking, you know. Uh, just hey, you know what are you feeling? You're 40 now. You know I don't really feel any different. Did you have a midlife crisis? I didn't. Have, I didn't have a midlife crisis. You yet. don't want to get a road a red sports car. <laughs> no, no. I need a bigger car, not a smaller car. I've got too many kids. Uh, maybe a faster, bigger car. But anyway, you know, I just in my mind, I I started thinking more about you know your. I don't know. When I turned forty, I started just with the moment I got to forty. I said, "Thank you, God, that I made it forty years." I, I just you know started thanking Him for the forty years that I've been here. And you know, I'm I'm at that interesting age where there's some people like you that look at me and you and you look at me and go, "Oh, you've got plenty of time to you know, you're young." Then I I talk to students that I teach at Word of Life, and I'm like an old man, you know, with kid. I'm you know, everybody. I'm kind of stuck in that middle place. Uh, where some people go, you got a long life to live. But it was just one of those kind of things where I, I did reflect on, well, 40 years is a long time to, with all the potential issues that could happen in life. You know, here I am. And I think there's even a Jewish prayer, Steve, that talks about the fact that you just kind of say, thank you, God, for bringing me to this place. What did Moses say? Teach
1: us to number our days. We measure time usually in years, 40 years, 69 years. Uh, but God wants us... To measure it in days. It's much easier to manage a small amount of time than it is a larger amount of time. Mm-hmm. And each day God gives us is a grace day. Uh, I think that's the majesty of the imminent return of Christ. Mm. The majesty of it is Christ, Jesus himself said, hey, if somebody tells you the day or the hour, forget about it. The, the, no one knows the day or the hour. So what's he telling us? I'm coming back. But you don't know when I'm coming back. I heard a preacher say, if anybody tells you the day or the hour, they're a heretic. And he said, if I were God and somebody predict the day and the hour, I'd change it. I If it happened to be the right one, I would change it just to get it." <laughs> Which ought to let you know that that preacher wasn't God because God doesn't operate that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of funny to think. Yeah, We live by, we should be living, you're, you're right, wake up, you woke up at 40 and said, "Oh man, thank you, God." The biblical aspect is we should wake up every, every day. day. Yep, every day. Now, Alice and I, my wife and I, when when we wake up, we go like this. People can't see us. I'm we're podcast. We touch each we touch ourselves <laughs> yeah. and say, "I'm alive. <laughs> I'm breathing. <laughs> we, I'm not kidding you. We that's what we do. We another day. We're breathing. Yeah. Uh, we and what do you do? You thank God." because he's the giver of breath and life. Yeah. Uh, and none of us know how many of
0: those days we have. Mm-hmm. None of us. And just think about how much breath we've used on the podcast. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's this
1: old uh, uh, Talmudic statement. I remember hearing it in Hebrew school. Everyone has a certain number of words, and when you use up your words, you're dead. Yeah, And that's why the great Rebbe's, the great Rebbe's hardly spoke. They hardly said anything. They believed that. I remember raising my hand in Hebrew school and saying, we only have a certain number of words. I use, I'm dead.
0: i dead. I'm dead tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're <gone>. because I, <laughs> that's how we know that's not true. You're still alive. I've been talking ever since, you know. <laughs> I've been talking ever since. But it's interesting, all these wives'
1: tales and stories and everybody trying to find the mind of God. You yeah. know what? We can't, we can't, we're not the mind of God. We're finite.
0: He's infinite. That's right. Well, Steve, you know, we could talk about this yeah, all we're day, but I know, quite a bit, but you know, I, I think it's good for us to reflect and think about all these things. I, you know, it's Paul, like you said, calls us to reflect on our lives um, uh, regularly on our on our Christian walk. Um, But I want to remind our listeners, as 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 you're as you're tuning in, uh, that the uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And Steve, we've got some exciting classes coming up.
1: Chris, you're doing your class. I am prophecy with the
0: radio voice of FOI. We are. I am very excited. That's a class I'm not missing. Well, it was funny because you had set some high standards for the amount of people coming. And I thought, oh, they're going to, Chris, they're going to Israel and prophecy. The whole, th- I thought, oh, I hope people come. Hey, people can come. You can co- go to foiequip.org to register. For the Israel and prophecy class, Steve and I was thinking about you know how do I want to structure this class and and I'm kind of excited because we're going to look at the promise that God made to Abraham. You, you you don't have Israel and prophecy unless you have a covenant that is eternal, and that's we're going to look at that um, on one of the uh, classes. Uh, uh, the, another class I was going to look at the the promise that God made for Israel in the land, in Deuteronomy, to talk about how it's the foundation for biblical prophecy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And then I thought at the very end we'd look at passages in the New Testament that talk about the significance of Israel and prophecy. So three classes right there. I hope that you come. Fantastic.
1: That is fantastic. The radio voice of FOI, the the man who runs all this equipment here for uh, the Jew and the Gentile podcast— and the guy who is the manager of Zoom is now going to multiply himself and be the teacher. That's right. And I'm telling you, people are registering already. We're nearly 300 people already who want to hear Chris talk.
0: I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited to see all of those people who register. And there's still time, foiequip.org. When is that again? To register. What the, Starts May 12th, Thursday, May 12th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. But then, Steve... You and I are going out to. I believe you're going to come, but we have a, a meeting with um, Lorna Simcox because we're going to be talking about her upcoming class, which is in June. Um, and that class is going to be about the book that she wrote called "The Search," and it's called the the class is called "The Search." Uh, at, you know how to share your faith. It's a it's a class on both listening to Lorna and her story, her testimony as a Jewish believer coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, but then tips. Uh, and 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 training or whatever you want to call it on how to minister to people around you. It's really interesting that Lorna, who
1: is such a gifted person, she's the editor-in-chief of Israel My Glory. She at least makes me look good when I send in an article, uh, and it's probably pathetic, and she makes it come out so good that people actually write to me and say oh you're such a good writer they don't, yeah. no, they they, don't now the secrets out why lorna has done that she's an author of the search she was a she was a um journalist who worked at a newspaper she knows how to interview people she's a gifted person mm. god changed her life uh and she uh, it, it's going to be very exciting to have her on class. So she's going to be a hard act to follow. In fact, so you got Chris first and then you got
0: Lorna Simcox and boy, what a dynamic duo. It's really listen, if you want to register for these classes, don't waste any time. Go to foiequip.org. So Steve, we are in we're we've started a new series last week. We called it the the dwelling places of God um and we're looking essentially— Shakan, right? That Chakan. was our word. Mm-hmm. That was our word last week. Shekinah, that's right, Shekinah. Uh, which means to dwell, that God would dwell with his people. We looked at the tabernacle, we looked at the temple last week, and, and today we're going to continue our study on the temple and kind of the history of the temple, because we talked about how God's presence, his physical presence, came down to dwell in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, how that same exact event happened in 1 Kings chapter 8, when God's glory, that physical presence of God, came down into the temple, into the holy of holies of the temple. Um, and, you know, we looked at all the maneuvering that happened there and the biblical approach to it and what that meant, that God came down. But in the in the course of Israel's history, Steve, God's presence didn't always stay in the temple. It actually left, and that's what we're going to talk about today. That's right. Ichabod,
1: the glory has departed. The prophet Ezekiel describes it uh, so well uh, and it's not good news, but he describes it well, the The actual physical presence of God going from the Temple Mount down the Kidron Valley back up to the, the Mount of Olives and then up. And Chris, as as we'll be talking about it, the, the New Testament brings the same kind of thing because in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God indwelt him. In fact, he unzipped his glory in Matthew chapter 16 and 17 up on the the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, where he revealed his glory. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so God departed, and God is going to return, and both those things are physical. They're tangible. You know, in theology, there's a great debate that goes on between the physical, is it a physical, literal, prophetic fulfillment, or is it spiritual as mm-hmm. it relates to the kingdom and the promises? And uh, those people who look to a future for Israel as legitimate, which you'll be talking about with the Abrahamic covenant, it starts there. Uh, it's the physical, tangible things you could see, you could touch, mm-hmm. you could feel. I think that's important because from Jewish theology, which I was raised with, they're looking for literal, physical, tangible Seeable,
0: uh, smellable mm-hmm. things. Really, the, show me signs. That that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, can I say too? You know, we're we're going to take a moment here to talk about the departure of the glory. And I, I always love that word "kavod," Steve. That's what glory means. And I think sometimes we have this ethereal view of what glory is. Um, you know, it's almost heavenly. But you know, in the Hebrew sense you know glory it means heavy it's the heaviness heavy. of god mm-hmm. uh, the cloud by day the fire by night that heaviness of god was present with his people and now over the course of several hundred years so if the temple was built around 1000 bc we're at a period now where ezekiel is uh, the prophet it has been carried away into exile, and there are still Jewish people living in Jerusalem. So Babylon, this massive empire, carries away um, uh, through a series of of deportations um, uh, the Jewish people, and they take away the best. They always took the best that, first. That's right. At five ninety seven BC or so is when they say Ezekiel would have been carried away. Um, and so he's receiving visions from Babylon, but there's still a Jewish presence in Jerusalem at this time, and that is what Ezekiel is is seeing, and, and I think it's amazing because he is going to, through a vision of the Lord, he is going to speak into the fact that God's glory is going to leave, and what I always find amazing, Steve, is that God's glory is going to leave before the temple is destroyed, so it's as if... Ezekiel is receiving this vision from God and that vision is saying we're at you know God's presence is leaving or I'm leaving before this temple's destroyed. so you don't think I die with this temple. I'm not dying with this temple. I'm my glory is departing. but Steve, there's a reason that God's glory is departing. Sin. It's always sin. Uh, it's it's why we
1: originally discussed are are we satisfied with our life? Uh, the reason I'm not satisfied 100% with my life is because I always fall short of the glory of God. Sin is se- separated us, and God in his grace has done great things. But the children of Israel, let's be honest, the the Bible is amazing because it's a book about God, given by God, to talk about um, the fact that that the people of God blow it. <laughs> Think about that. I know. It's, it, he's chosen a people to demonstrate his glory, and the people who are supposed to demonstrate it don't. That's right. That's, that's the bottom line. So that's why originally when we were talking, you evaluate your life, and you say, I wasn't always at the head. Mm-hmm. I wasn't always where I should be because it's this constant struggle. In the case here uh, of Babylon uh, taking Israel, uh, is because of their sin, and that's not the first time, and it's not the last time.
0: Yeah, and you know what's interesting too is that when Ezekiel presents this picture of God's glory um, departing, as we're going to look at what what strikes me is that you would think the Israelites would be sinning in you know the northern tribes of Israel, far away from Jerusalem, or even in the towns surrounding Jerusalem. That's where we're going to put the idols or we're going to worship idols or we're going to abandon god this it, what god is going to show ezekiel as we go through the text in ezekiel 9 through 11 god is bringing ezekiel into the temple to show him that his own people have been have abandoned him and turned to false gods right in the sanctuary where his presence dwells so you can really get a sense that god's anger toward the jewish people his that, that he's feeling because of their sin, it's not just, oh, it's out there. No, it's inside In the now. camp. It's in, in the, the camp. camp. That's right. It in has. The camp. It is multiplied to the point where it now is acceptable in the holy place of God in the temple.
1: You know, isn't it true, as we think of the New Testament, uh, I go, you go back to Shavuot, Pentecost, and the Jewish people were to have two loaves of bread, and we often say that those two loaves with leaven, the Bible in Leviticus says specifically leaven. Mm-hmm. And when we think of the church, uh, the church are redeemed people. But isn't it interesting that leaven, leaven happened in Jerusalem with the presence of God, leaven being sin, and leaven happens in the church as well. That's right. God's redeemed. He's redeemed he redeems people. He's a God of grace. But man just never seems
0: to get it? Yeah. Do we? Well, we're never satisfied. That's right. Yeah, we're never satisfied, and so well, Steve, I want to. Why don't you read? First? Yeah, it, it's interesting because in Ezekiel there are always these transition moments that happen, and it's usually around dates. Uh, and and so again, we have this transition moment in Ezekiel chapter eight, where it says, "In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth fifth day, which is starting in verse in chapter eight, while I was sitting in my house." Uh, And the elders of Judah were sitting with me before me. The hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man from what appeared to be his waist down was like fire. And from there up was an appearance was as bright as a glowing metal. And he stretched out what looked like a hand and he took me by the hair of my head and the spirit lifted me up between heaven and earth. And in the visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem. So he goes from Babylon to Jerusalem, and He plop, the Spirit of the Lord plops him down right at the entrance of the north gate in the inner court where the idol of that provokes to jealousy stood, and there before me was the glory of God of, 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 Israel, of Israel as in the vision I had seen in the plain. And so there is uh, Ezekiel uh, in Babylon, and all of a sudden, he sees what looks like a man, and this man is doing some interesting things. And all of a sudden, he gets caught up into a vision by the Lord and brought down into Jerusalem. And right as he goes into the temple, he's brought before an idol, Steve.
1: Oh yeah, and the things that there he's going to be seeing right there are horrifying. They are horrifying. I'm sure they were horrifying to Ezekiel.
0: Yeah, and Ezekiel was uh, definitely a faithful follower of the Lord. So I am confident that what he saw in the temple was stunning to him. And it's interesting because the text actually says that what you see here right now, the fact that you see an idol in my temple, Ezekiel, you haven't seen anything yet. So God is almost prepping Ezekiel as he's continuing to enter in. So he's walking into the temple complex, uh, Solomon's temple. He's walking into the temple complex, and he sees right away an idol, which Gives the idea that Israel's breaking the law right in the temple. And he says in verse 6, And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here? Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see things that are even more detestable. Man, he drives him to look
1: in a hole in the wall, the next verse says. That's right. And it's almost like a peep show. (laughs) Yeah, really. That that gives... The 21st century idea, actually 20th century, to look through a peephole at things you shouldn't be looking
0: at. That's exactly right. So he he bores a hole in the wall as God commands him to, and he says uh, in verse 9, go in and see the wicked and detestable things that they are doing here. So I went in and looked and saw portrayed all over the walls, all kind of crawling things, unclean animals, and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel. Uh, Jaazaniah, uh, Ja'azani, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and fragrant cloud of incense was rising. Steve, so not only are these things in the temple, but you see Israelites are worshiping them in the temple as well.
1: Yep, and you could. here's what they say in verse 12. The Lord does not see us. Isn't that interesting? The Lord does not. Chris, what's basic theology one hundred and one about the living God in Judaism? It's as the same well as Christianity, Yeah, it's the no, same.
0: Yes. What? That, what's? God, who is God? God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. He sees all things. He's all powerful. So the idea that they think they can—that God doesn't see what they're, they're
1: doing—they believe what they're doing is God doesn't know about
0: it. Yeah, which is especially since. Here Ezekiel is calling him the sovereign, you know, uh, yep, exactly. Yahweh Adonai or Yahweh Elohim, which is, you know, the Lord God, the one who sees and knows all things. Uh, and so some translations call him the sovereign sovereign. Uh, Lord, with that kind of translation, so here it, they think they're hiding from God, um, but He continues to go deeper and deeper uh, into the temple. Uh, verse fourteen. Then He brought me into the entrance of the north gate to the house of the Lord, and when I saw, uh, I and I saw women sitting there mourning the god of Tammuz, a, a, I believe a Babylonian or Canaanite god, and He said to me, "Do you see this, Son of Man? Do you see the things?" Uh, that are even more detestable. You'll see things that are even more detestable than this. It's going to get worse, not better. That's right. And he he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and there at the entrance of the temple. This is the one that always gets me, Steve. Um, At the entrance of the temple, between the portico and the altar were about 25 men with their backs to the temple, uh, and, and their backs to the Lord, and their faces toward the east, and they were bowing down to the sun in the east. You know, Steve. We could say, you know, in in some way, Israel turned their back on God, but in a very literal way, they literally turned their back on God, God's holy presence. When again, uh, Ezekiel is going to use that language that we read about uh, in in um, in Exodus chapter forty, in First Kings chapter eight, when the glory came down into the temple. Here you see Ezekiel, and it happens over and over again in Ezekiel, where he calls on the glory of God. He notices that God's physical presence is in the temple, and here Ezekiel is looking at these Jewish men who should be facing the Holy of Holies, worshiping the Creator God, the I Am, worshiping for being the God who not only chose Israel, but the God who created all things, and yet they've got their back to Him, and they're worshiping what something God created totally, uh, literally, turn their backs on God. The further
1: a person goes away from the word, the more likely they are to be far away, mm. far away. Uh, you know, I, I remember my father telling me uh, when we, we used to celebrate Yom Kippur growing up, and I would hear stories. I, I couldn't imagine them, but they were true. I used to hear stories. In our orthodox setting, you're, you're in... Uh, temple most of the time you get a break and it's you're fasting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, my dad when he when he was growing up in an Orthodox synagogue, he told me, "Oh yeah, I would watch them when they took a break. They'd go to the corner uh, to drugstore where they had at that time little seats, and they would drink coffee, and then they'd go back for Yom Kippur." So you say, that discouraged my father, and I I I understand that all he was illustrating was we're part of the chosen people we yeah. should be doing this but some of us are not it's not confined to jewish people by any stretch of the imagination every group of people notice what it's it, the text here says uh, concerning god that the lord does not see us that's it once you think that yeah. look at all the other things that happen
0: it's a domino effect it's yeah.
1: it's it's taking it's dragging god down in in your perception of him, so that you have license to do other things. After all, I can hide it from him, person, whoever it is. So, I, and I can hide it from God. But what if God sees everything? What
0: if God knows everything? That's that's the big question. And what happens too is that the worshipper thinks they box God in to their little uh, worldview. Oh, God can't see us. And I'm sure in that world of idols, then, you know, idols, you could turn the idol to look the other way, or, you know, I'll take this idol and lay him flat so he can't see what I'm doing, a physical idol. You can't do that to God. God's glory was dwelling there, and you see God's glory leading Ezekiel around. The temple is about to be destroyed, 586 BC. Steve, I always tell um, you know, uh, students or whenever I teach, there's a few dates that are just the kind of dates that if you memorize these dates, it's going to change the way that you read the Bible. And 586 BC is one of those dates because there are a lot of events in the Bible that are taking place, prophets are writing, uh, Ezekiel being one of them, Jeremiah being one of them, Daniel being one of them. There are a lot of these events that are taking place that that are surrounded around 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the temple. I think you just raise a good point because sometimes we
1: as believers who read the Bible, we compartmentalize. You just named three prophets, three prophets, lives going on and in their interaction with God and what he was doing and and it was all at the same period of time. Yeah. We it's 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 much broader if you see what God is doing with his people
0: and in that historical framework. That's right. And 586 is one of those numbers. You know, another big one is 70 AD, Steve. Huge number. That's when the temple is destroyed again, that's the temple that Jesus would have ministered in, um Herod's temple. Uh, That was destroyed. There are other dates as well, but, you know, if you can get 586 down, 586 B.C., there are so many events leading up to 586 B.C., so many events post-586 B.C. in the Bible that define the way that the Jewish people are thinking, acting, and why the prophets are even writing to begin with. It has to do with God's judgment, and God is leaving now and 586 is coming. He sees Nebuchadnezzar coming. He actually planned for Nebuchadnezzar. God planned for Nebuchadnezzar, the the, the Babylonian king, to destroy the temple. Uh, so it, it was all a part of God's sovereign plan, and now his glory is leaving.
1: Chris, I think it's a good segue here. You, you're saying 586 BC. When I was growing up, we didn't use BC. We used B C. Oh, why? Well, okay. It's that's significant. When you would, were when you were young, I would have never. No, to this day, if you read Jewish history written by Orthodox people, it's BCE. Okay. If you go to Israel and read their history books, they'll give you the the calendar the way we see it. They'll have five eighty six. It won't be a a Jewish thing. That but it will be BCE. Mm. Why? Before the Common Era, there is an intent. That we don't want to talk about Christ. We, it's before the Common Era, after the Common Era. Yeah, for us, it's BC, before Christ, and after Christ. I think that's important it for is. our listeners to know the the even the way they measure the person they're measuring after they they don't want to do that. And it's it's interesting they stay away from Christ. They do everything they can. And by they they're my people. I love them. But they they do everything they can to stay away, and at the same time, uh, they're view they're trying to view say God isn't around. Yeah, he won't see us. Yeah, he won't know. Uh, I don't know. It's fr- it's frustrating. I
0: really am glad that you pointed that out because I might have even just skipped over that. But it really does define what the what the thought was, even for because no common Israelite can be in the temple worshiping. These are probably priests that are worshiping, um, you know, with their back to the Lord. And so, again, it kind of highlights the way that they thought about God, that they could box God in, and he can't see us. But the reality is he can see, and he's actually about to act. And I think that's what Jeremiah, and I think that's what Ezekiel are talking about. No, God sees you. He sees you, and he's coming. Uh, the, the judgment is coming because of your uh, your your bad theology, really, that you think God can't see you. Um, and so, Uh, Again, a a great reminder of who God is and the fact that he does notice and he does care. Um, But what happens after chapter 8 and leading into 9 and 11, Steve, is that this chariot appears. And if I can sum it up like this, just for time's sake, and I hope that our readers read through Ezekiel 9 through 11, uh, but this chariot comes and it's a divine chariot. It's the kind of chariot that we see in the beginning of Ezekiel. And it's a chariot for the Lord because the chariot is coming to pick up the king of Israel, who is the God of Israel. And he's been sitting on his throne in the Holy of Holies. And now this chariot is coming, and it's the glory of God is going to transfer from the top of the Holy of Holies, where he's been sitting, and he's going to move to the chariot, because the chariot is what's going to carry him away from the temple. And so there's this vision that Ezekiel has of this divine chariot. We can't go into all the maneuvering and, and and things of that nature. The point is is that it's a it's designed to move God from the Holy of Holies atop the Ark of the Covenant onto the chariot and then out of the Holy of Holies. Verse 4 of chapter 10 says, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the
1: cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory, and the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard even to the outer court like the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. Mm -hmm. What an awesome thing. And he was leaving. He was leaving,
0: yeah. And I'll I'll even say, it goes back, I'm glad that you went there, Steve. And even when you you get to, Chapter 9, it, it talks about the fact that the glory in verse 3, the glory of Is, uh, the God of Israel went up from the cherubim where it had been and moved from the threshold of the temple. And then the Lord called the, uh, to a man clothed in linen who had been writing a writing kit in his hand and said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over the detestable things that are done in it. And he goes on. But the point is that he's moving. He's on top of this chariot now, and he's beginning the process of moving. And Steve, I thought we would uh, end our study here at the very end of of um, of uh, uh Ezekiel chapter 11. Sorry, I had a. Well, brain before you there.
1: do that, you, I know we're running out of time, but look, what is the Almighty going to do? Chris, you just were above it. Utterly slay. Mm-hmm. Chris, judgment. Yeah. I mean, in fact, it says, don't have pity. Oh, the justice and holiness of God. It's all, we always, modern man always contrasts the justice and holiness of God and God's love and his mercy it's that conundrum for us wait a minute god's love god cares here his holiness is violated and he is he is laying in
0: yeah. to his people. I'm- Which again is a reminder for coming to the Israel and prophecy class that you can register for at foiequip.org' oh, good segue, Chris. That was very well. You done. like that? Foi And the reason why is because we want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, 30, because those, you know, when Ezekiel's writing, he's not just, you know, God is responding to the covenant law that he made to israel so it's not like they should be surprised that god's judgment is coming he laid all this out in the law you know a a lot of prophecy is connected to that one moment where god says if you disobey me i'm gonna kick you out of your land and you're not gonna like what you see so there are consequences to the sin and these are a part the judgment is a part of the consequence
1: absolutely right well chris this has been great
0: can i just end with this steve so that you could end with whatever you want. Look at this. I want to show you what happens to the cherubim, everybody. What chapter everybody. are you in? Chapter 11, verse 22. Okay. Then the cherubim, and the cherubim are essentially the, what's guiding the, 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 the chariot here that's carrying the Lord. Then the cherubim, with their wheels beside them, spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them, and the glory of the Lord went up. From within the city, Jerusalem, and stopped above the mountain east of it, Steve. That's the Mount of Olives. Correct. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia and the vision given by the Spirit of the Lord. So, again, that that connection we want to talk about, Steve. Here's the glory of the Lord. It's in the Holy of Holies. The 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 chariot picks up the the glory of God and moves God slowly. I It's amazing, because it could have just said God left the temple. But there are chapters. It's almost as if there's this hesitancy for God to leave. But he leaves the temple. He goes down this valley, the Kidron Valley, and he goes up to the East Mountain, which is the Mount of Olives. And I, I hope next week when we come back, we kind of fill in some of that prophetic tension that's going to take place here, because it appears again, but this time in the New Testament. Oh, man, and it's going to be great. It's, it's going to be great. But, Steve, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying this study, Steve, as we're going through this together. Steve, maybe you can uh, lead us away when it comes to what's happening in the news.
1: Well, we have a, a news item which comes from uh, the Times of Israel. A top Zelensky aide, Lavrov, shows Russia a threat to Jews. Israel can't stay on the fence. Talk about tension, Chris. You've got the modern state of Israel which has benefited from its relationship with Israel and kind of prided itself uh, with Russia, kind of prided itself on that relationship. But there's this war going on in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and uh, there's this big tension. Whose side are you on? And Israel's kind of been trying to write a... a walk a tightrope.
0: And they're doing that too because Bennett kind of played a mediatorial role there between Putin and Zelensky, between the two countries. And so I think he wanted to, He they do have great relationships. They did have a great relationship with Russia, but I think they were trying to maintain some position there of uh, of being a mediator between the two countries as yeah, well. But something big happened,
1: Chris. Big time. Uh, and, it, and according to the Times of Israel, recent comments about Adolf Hitler's Jewish...
0: Blood. That's all you need.
1: By Russia's top diplomat, Chris, that uh, they're uh, the, top guy. This is numero uno. He's he's the head. He's the he's the best they got. And he's talking about Hitler's Jewish blood. Yep. It it. I was talking to you about this uh, before we came on, and I was saying in Sesame Street they say which which of these don't belong. Well, it doesn't belong that a top diplomat who's supposed to be experienced does something, says something like that. Mm-hmm. It's major, major issues that he would talk talk about an abomination and an affront uh, during a time of Memorial Day in Israel. They're dealing with a Russian guy, and he doesn't back down.
0: No. Why
1: don't you tell him, there, he, he had a chance to kind of, Get out of it.
0: Yep. No, he, he but, but doubled, he, didn't. he doubled down on it. And, um, and he, he actually, what's interesting, Steve, is that Zelensky is saying Israel can no longer sit on the fence on this issue. They've got to make a choice. Um, there are a lot of Jewish people in Ukraine. There are a lot of Jewish people from Russia. In fact, just a fresh reminder, too. You know, Israel, a lot of the population speak Russian in Israel because they are from Russia. Uh, some amazing people. Um, but, uh, so there's that, Connection, but he doubled down by basically looking at Israel and saying, Are you gonna side with the Ukrainians? Which is basically like siding with Hitler, you know? And I think it's just sent Israelis off and said, You have you are talking to the wrong people here with the history connected to it. They know that Zelensky's Jewish and have Holocaust uh parents who who are grandparents who survived the Holocaust. I think there's a lot of emotion there, Steve, when it comes to the Israelis um and and what Lavrov said is an affront, it's, it's, it's a front to them, it's, it's, it's offensive to them, and now they know who they're working with as well. 100%. The article
1: says, despite the backlash, which you and I are talking about, Russia has refused to back down. On Tuesday, uh, its foreign ministry doubled down on the remarks claiming that while during the Holocaust, some Jews were forced to participate in crimes. Zelensky, who is Jewish, does this quite consciously and quite voluntarily. Yes. So it's it's a major problem. Israel has to Israel has to maneuver through this, and here's a question of where do they stand?
0: Yeah, where are they going to stand? You know, I've not seen a. I'd be interested to see a poll on what Israelis think about uh, Russia. You know, I I know that the government is maintaining a certain trying to, like we said, ride that line, um, and. Uh, I'm interested to know what the Israeli people think. You know, we might have to ask some of our colleagues in Israel, you know, what's the sentiments of Israelis over there because I've not seen a poll or anything of that nature. But it just, you know, this could this this kind of language from Lavrov could definitely move the the needle to support for Ukraine 100%. And I know Israel has been supportive of them, but still even more so.
1: One of the main things of prophecy we know is that Jewish people have to go home. There is a place. We've talked about it here on the Jew and the Gentile podcast. There there finally is a place. And while all this stuff is going on with Russia, it's literally shaking the foundation of diaspora, Mm -hmm. Jews who are scattered. And now as it relates to Eastern Europe, Israel is preparing and and currently and will prepare to receive more Jewish people back to the land. It segues to your prophecy class. Israel, the Jewish people, Ezekiel tells us Mm -hmm. they have to go home. And so, Chris... The question then becomes, wait a minute, if Jewish people have to go home, what about North America? You and I work in North America ministries. We know that in, in the United States and in Canada are a significant number of Jewish people. And the reason is nothing new. Business is good here. Life yep. is good here. There's no reason for us to leave. Not much different than in the book of of Esther. Yep. Why we're, Wait a minute, they had a chance to go back from the Babylonian captivity, and they didn't. Yep. Uh, it always is anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is a double-edged sword. It's it's the focal, focal point of God in directing his end-time scenario uh, for uh, the Jews to go back. But it, the negative is whatever God loves, Satan hates, and pours out hate. And that's, hey, what you, you cannot call what happened with uh, this Russian diplomat, anything less than Jewish hate, which is
0: satanic. Steve, um, I'm pulling up numbers here on my computer as you're talking, because uh, the Israeli Central Bureau of Statistics actually just released um, the new numbers for the, Isra- for the population of Jewish people around the world, specifically in, in Israel. Um, but it's interesting because there are 15.2 million Jewish people globally, um, Israel is home to 45 percent of them, um, with 6.9 million. The United States is home to the next largest, which is six million. But I remember when I read this this um, this report, it's fascinating because when you go into every other country in the world, you know, I think the third largest could be France, maybe or France or Canada or Canada. It could be Canada. Now you're moving from six million, you know. Six point nine million in Israel, six million in the United States, and then all of a sudden it goes down to three thousand, three hundred thousand yeah. people. Oh, very small amount. Yeah, two hundred thousand in in the you know two hundred fifty thousand in the UK or three. You know, I, I'm 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 not far off from those numbers, but it's amazing how drastically those numbers have dropped. And to think that less than a hundred years ago, uh, Poland. Uh, was the centerpiece of Jewish life. Three and a half million. That's right. And now it's next to, I mean, it's in the hundreds of thousands.
1: When I was there just about 15 years ago, we were in Warsaw. Um, My grandparents came just from north of Warsaw. There were about 5,000 Jewish people, 5,000. In fact, uh, Germany, which uh, lost so many Jewish people, uh, they're actually gaining some. Several Israelites are going to Germany. But we're only talking about a few thousand. Yeah. Uh your number isn't it interesting that you can isolate the bulk of Jewish population really in in two countries, the bulk of them. And yet people all over the world are going after the few that are it's why do there's such an insignificant number. Why would they be be so hateful? Here in this country, yep. anti Semitism has gone up. 70%, nobody denies the numbers. Why? I think people should be asking that why question.
0: Uh, Steve, I have the numbers here too. France, 445,000. That was uh, number three. Number four, Canada with 393,000. The United Kingdom, but this one surprised me, the United Kingdom, 292,000. Argentina, 175,000. Russia, 150,000. Germany and Australia, each have 118,000 in the
1: whole country that's in the whole
0: country <laughs> well, you know so you're going from 6 7 million 6 million and then down into the hundreds of thousands and but this is also interesting because i'm sure if there's this interesting migration report of jewish people you know prior to 1948 when israel became a nation there were barely any jewish people living over there and now as you were saying the jewish people have to go home you know according to the scriptures look what's happening they are going home. Seven million, more than almost forty-five uh, percent, are in Israel now. That was not the case nope. back in nineteen forty-eight. Oh no, not at all. The United States
1: led the way after the after World War II of the the most Jewish people in the in the world. Uh, and percentage-wise, now, as you just said, Israel's the focal point. Most of them are going there because of anti-Semitism. There's a good percentage, you and I meet them when we go to Israel, you hear the story, something Mm -hmm. in, I've heard it many times, something inside was saying, go home. And these are people raised in their country. And so we thank God, we we had friends of Israel who had the vision, our leadership had the vision in 1938 to say, there's going to be an Israel. Mm -hmm. And they named us friends of Israel 10 years, even before there was it. Isn't it amazing the insight a person can have if they keep their eyes on the text? Yeah. Our founders kept their eyes on the text in the midst of Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. They had the foresight and the faith to know we're the friends, not of Jews, which of course we are, but they're the friends of Israel. Yeah. If God loves them... We love them. Yep. It's such a great feeling whenever I, I know you feel the same way. Whenever I go somewhere, what group are you? I'm with the Friends of Israel. Can I tell you a quick story? Ten years before there was an Israel. We knew there'd be an Israel. You tell us how do
0: people react when you tell them? Uh, it's ama- they're amazed by it. And and I even think about the fact that I think a lot of people think that the nation of Israel would just or the state of Israel just would be called Israel, but they were having meetings. The the Jewish people in Israel were having meetings before the state was announced on May 14th, 1948. What do we call this thing? And they had many different names for it it wasn't just israel they settled on israel but they were it wasn't a given they they could have elected to have some other name for their state you know so there's a lot of variables but that's god is amazing because it's he is sovereign it's the fulfillment
1: of prophecy yeah. it's the
0: Bible. Yep, exactly. Uh, every time. It's great. Okay, Steve, I also want to say this, because as we bleed into this next little section about the news, um, is that what Lavrov said comes at a very interesting time to talk about it as well. His 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 hateful words uh, toward Israel and the Jewish people um, come at a time when Israel just remembered the Holocaust Remembrance Day as a nation, um, and now today, as we're speaking, May 4th, 2022 is uh, Israel's Memorial Day, where they honor those who have fallen, um, Israeli soldiers, both prior to Israel's state and 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 today, uh, who have fallen in battle. At noon, and uh, the
1: time that we're speaking, noon has already passed there, but there's a throughout the country, uh, horns go off. There is a siren that goes off. And no matter where you are, I, I wish I wish there was a way we could do it in our own country to honor those who served in our country because you and I benefit from those who have gone uh, to fight and defend our country. But in Israel, it freeways, Chris, yep. and Israeli drivers are crazy. Yeah, they are crazy. <laughs> they hear that. They hear they hear those sirens go off. They stop. They shut off their car. They get out of the car. They stand. And there's silence. Mm. It is. I, I've never been. If one of the times I'd love to be there, and it's it doesn't take that long time wise to th- hear the quiet for a moment mm-hmm. in honor. What what a way to respect your people. I, th- I just think that's amazing.
0: Uh, a friend of ours, a D. Lekovic, who uh, is a colleague with the Friends of Israel, he's in Israel and ministering there, and he sent me a photo. So, you know, you, I know our listeners can't see it, but it's the kibbutz that he lives on, and they have a small memorial service with the kibbutz, and for those people who lost Family members. Um, I think they said in total there were something around twenty five to twenty eight thousand Israelis who have lost their lives um, and are remembered. Um, during the Memorial Day. So today is Memorial Day. I I actually always enjoy the way that they've set up the structure because Holocaust remembrance gives way to Memorial Day, which gives way to what we're going to talk about probably next week, which is uh, Israel's Independence Day. They go from tears to joy. Exactly. So uh, that's what's going on in the news, everybody. But Steve, we've got all right, Chris. Got our Yiddish word of the day, everybody. We got a good one, I promise. Actually, probably one that you might already know, but we're gonna tell you it anyway. You, you and I had
1: a debate about which word to use, and we're we're going back and forth. Uh, but today's word is just three letters: G O Y. G O Y. Goy. Goy. That's, That's right. That's what you are. It's the Jew and
0: the Goy hour. <laughs> I am the goy, you are the Jew and so hey, goy the reason that we chose goy goy is everything but a Jewish person that's what I love about the bible hey i'm Jewish and you're everything else that's you're you're goyim im <laughs> is the plural so goyim is all the the gentiles goy is a gentile um and it's a great yiddish word goy um and it it it's it's all the nations and the reason that we chose goy today was because we talked about what israel was doing uh, what the what the Jewish people were doing in the temple, they were acting like goyim. They were acting like goys. Yep, there's
1: God's chosen people and there's everybody else. And what we just read today was compromise. Was It's interesting that the purpose of Israel was to make other nations, the goyim, jealous mm-hmm. and bring them. We were to be the light to the Gentiles to bring them to us Instead, the light came from the Goyim, and we said, "Oh, you know, living like that might not be a bad thing." It's the direct opposite. I find that interesting.
0: That's the tension of Israel's story all throughout the Old Testament. Is they every time they look over and they see the Goyim, they want to be like the Goyim. And you know what, Steve? It's the tension of a Christian as well. That as a as a follower of the Lord Jesus, you've been set apart. You've been given a purpose. You've been sanctified. And then you're sometimes looking over at the world and saying, what's going on over there? I'm interested in the way that they live and act. And we've been called to be separated from that. So just a great reminder for us as well. It's a great reminder. And
1: it's always a great tension. It's always a great tension. Sanctification. We are to be sanctified.
0: Yep, exactly. Well, listen, everybody. I want to thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast today. I can't believe, Steve, 50 it's, minutes. Uh, 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 I thought it was like 10 minutes. I know. Again, <laughs> if, the Jew, if we were living by Talmudic rules, we'd be dead. I, I'm dead already That's in right. one hour. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Just a fresh reminder. Join me. Uh, come to my class. The, come uh, to Chris's class. You'll, you'll love it. Israel and Prophecy. You can register by going to FOI Equip. Dot O-R-G, foiequip.org. You know what else is great about going to that website? You can watch past classes. You can pick up on where uh, the classes that we did for the Spring Feast. You can watch Steve's class. You can listen to past Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, you can do all that at foiequip.org. We'll see you next week.